This is KHOI Story City Ames, and you are listening to I Am Able Iowa, where we discuss the ability in disability. I'm Anna Magnuson, your host for today. And Daniel Hedendorf and Meredith Frankham, our co-hosts, are here with us again through the power of Zoom. Now, Samantha Edwards, our I Am Able Iowa researcher, provides a question to kick off our show each week, and she wants to know this question, guys. What was your favorite back-to-school purchase when you were in elementary school? We're getting ready to go back to school. So perfect question, Samantha. Oh, I think Daniel should go first on this one. Okay. You speak as if I have any memory of my elementary school days. You're younger than I am. So I know, I and me. Fair. I'm like, what? Well, it's, I don't know. It's, that was the period when uh, I was sort of just running on autopilot. Like, I didn't really pay attention to anything that was going around me. I was just, up. Oh, it's no longer summertime. Back to the big building. And so there there wasn't really any ceremonial aspect to it. It was more just another part of the year that I was too young to really fully interpret. And we never made a really big deal out of it. No, like, amazing purchases of clothing or the like. The the best answer I can think of is something I actually just inherited from when my sister was a teacher, which is a folder I still use, uh, proudly advertising Mario Kart Wii on it. So it's got Super Mario riding his cool motorcycle. Oh, that's a great answer. It's a good answer. Okay, so when I saw this question, I thought, oh, man, elementary school is a long time ago. Um <laughs> But um, I do remember first grade, I got a, okay, when I was in first grade, we lived in Korea. Um, and I got what I called Korean crayons. Um, they're really, um, they're, uh, I don't know what they're called in the art word, but they're pastels. And they're really like oil pastel colors. Anyway, and I love those things, coloring those things. And like, I still have my original set Korean crayons from when I was six years old they're not gone yet and like I kind of like occasionally I bring them out and use them but like I kind of guard them as like the one thing I remember from my childhood that I really loved so that's as close for school supplies that I can that I can uh, embrace but really I loved like getting new shoes like school supplies I didn't really care about but like new shoes that was awesome Wow, I'm impressed that you and Daniel have those like little remnants of your memories uh, from your childhood. That's impressive. My trapper keeper went in the trash as soon as the school year was over. I'm not going to lie. And that's terrible with rummage rampage going on and recycling. But I'm not going to lie. I threw away my trapper keeper with the kittens on it. Now, Daniel's going to introduce our guests. But uh, Brianna, I'm sure you have lots of things to talk about when it comes to assistive technology and school supplies these days. But Daniel, would you please introduce our guest? Sure thing. Brianna Lewin is the Rural Solutions and Assistive Technology Center on-site coordinator at Easter Seals, Iowa. Brianna has worked with the Easter Seals, Iowa Assistive Technology Program since 2018 and takes the lead with the Assistive Technology Program's Information and Communication Technology Services, providing training and resources focused on digital accessibility. She received her bachelor's degree in social work at the University of Iowa and has worked in the field for four years with previous experience in aging and disability services. She is passionate about assistive technology, accessibility, and supporting Iowans with disabilities. Welcome to the show, Brianna. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me this morning. So, Brianna, you mentioned, well, let's go back to that question. Let's give you a chance to answer that question of your favorite uh, school supply or back-to-school tradition and ritual. Uh, What was yours? Um, I was kind of nerdy in elementary school, and I really loved school supplies. I was always excited about it. Um, so I, I liked to really like color coordinate my supplies. So it was more about like figuring out how I was going to make it look as well as getting what I needed. So I would say that was, that's what I was like when in elementary school. Oh, I love that. Now your LinkedIn about you section states, my background, I'm going to read like I'm Brianna. I'm going to channel my inner cool (laughs) Brianna. My background is in a generalist macro social work. Ooh, I feel smart. Through continued learning and experience, I have developed a passion for disability and aging rights and am driven by digital accessibility and accommodation. So let's break that apart. So why are you passionate about disability and aging rights? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, you know, I gained experience in my social work program working with um, older adults in assisted living as well as working with the Iowa City Senior Center. And so um, that was quite a dichotomy of assisted living and then an area where they were really focused on aging in place, living independently. So I got a lot of education um, and experience doing that. And then um, uh, after that, I started working in supported community living and um, got some experience working with, you know, individuals with disabilities Um, in a supported community living setting, and then um, applied at Easter Seals. I had no plans of going into assistive technology, but was actually um, asked to apply for a position with the program and um, have been there ever since. Um, And so I think, you know, we see a lot of the, the gaps and barriers that older adults and individuals with disabilities experience, Um, And so I really enjoy just getting to learn and grow and advocate for those that I work with every day. Yeah, great question. So um, I actually have a disability myself. And so um, getting diagnosed and um, dealing with some of the my own barriers, I think, really helped me to um, be empathetic and understand um, what some of these issues were from a very personal level. But I also um, really enjoy the opportunity to be challenged and to to learn more about other people's experiences as well. Oh, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, so, um, you know, when I first started learning about digital accessibility, I saw the need. um, And it's pretty significant. You know, we're more and more living, living in a, like, digital landscape. Um, And so how do we ensure that accessibility is part of that conversation and preferably, you know, part of that conversation from the beginning, because that's what really ensures accessibility, ensures inclusion for everyone. So I think, you know, once you become aware of some of those skills and some of those things that you want to be aware of with uh, digital accessibility needs, it's kind of hard to turn that off. So now it's like I see it everywhere. And you know, it's kind of always on my mind about what can we be doing to um, really improve accessibility needs um, and ensure inclusion. Can you give us an example of something that you see? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I provide this example a lot with permission, but my husband is colorblind. 
and color contrast and color use, um, whether it's in a website, whether it's in a document, is very, very important to accessibility. And I don't think that people necessarily think of that because you just don't know what you don't know. Um, but I've seen that experience firsthand, you know, getting on a website and him wanting to take a look at it and not being able to read the text on the page. Um, we had a hotel we were looking at one time, and on the, the web page, it was light gray text on a white background. So he wasn't able to even, you know, see the text, let alone be able to read the details. And so that's something that I think I've, I've really become aware of. Um, but there's, there's lots of different things that we can all start to kind of practice with accessibility and start to notice. That's an awesome example. Um, when we were putting together our uh, I Am Able Iowa website, we actually went through a similar thing where our web designer put together a website and we looked at it and I was like, wait a minute, colorblind people won't be able to see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's really interesting. Can you give us, okay, so you say there are things that we can all notice. Um, yes. Tell us more. I, I yeah. mean, I think there are opportunities for everyone to become an advocate, but we, like you said, we don't know what we don't know. So empower us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it's important, first of all, um, I always start my presentations off with just sharing that I'm not an expert. I'm always learning in this field. I'm always, you know, looking into additional resources and doing what I can to better learn and grow in this area as well. So I think that when we first start talking about digital accessibility, there's lots of details. It can get very technical quickly. And so it might feel like, oh, this isn't my area or, you know, um, this isn't something that I'm capable of doing. But there are certain things that anyone could pay attention to when they're sending an email or putting together a Word document. The biggest thing I would say is alt text. Um, making sure that you have uh, an alternative way to convey meaning, um, to convey context if you're going to use pictures or graphics in something. So um, most platforms, most programs have the opportunity to add alt text. Um, and I really, uh, one of the most important things that I like to share about alt text is that it is about conveying that context as well. So um, making sure that if if someone were able to gather certain details visually, that that's included in that alt text as well. So the alt text is the like a description of a photo for Correct. somebody who might have a visual impairment. Yep, exactly. So um, on that back end of technology uh, with a screen reader, it would be able to capture that alt text and and provide audio output of that. So I think that's one of the, the biggest things that we can pay attention to. So a lot of these I'm presuming are focusing a lot on uh, visual elements, things like uh, the, the alt text for images or for colorblind purposes, but are the other senses also taken into account when talking about digital accessibility? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So um, we talk a lot about universal design um, within digital accessibility. And one of the things that I think is important to remember is that any individual should be able to not only access, but um, interact with technology. So I think of the core principles, um, which means perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust. So I think that that means that there are going to be times where it's very individualized, 
you may feel that you're accessible for individuals with low vision, but someone, um, you know, that that is colorblind or has another disability that is affected by access to technology, um, you know, they may share that feedback and it's important to make those changes when they come through. So then your area of expertise, um, providing assistive technology, how do these two things come together? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I would say the primary way that they come together, uh, uh, like you said, is with screen readers. I would say that's the biggest one. So um, screen readers are devices that individuals with low vision or no vision um, use to uh, either uh, go through their cell phone, their computer, and a screen reader will actually um, review information and then provide audio output so that that individual can interact the same with the internet um, or with a document, whatever it might be. So I would say that that is the biggest one, but there's also dictation that you want to consider um, and, and uh, you know, accommodations that make it possible to access the internet or to access different computer programs. Um, so it really goes hand in hand. And okay, so we talked earlier in your bio about how you work uh, more, or at least you started out your career with older populations. Do you work with older populations when it comes to assistive technology? And what is that like if you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say all the time. We also um, have a contract that we uh, do with the Veterans Administration. Um, I no longer uh, work with that piece just because of other roles, but I'm used to. And with that, we were able to um, provide assessments and training uh, for low vision technology for veterans with vision. So I had the opportunity to work with veterans, you know, that were trying to use their computer for the first time as at, at 90 years old. Um, you know, so I think that was a great experience because it reminded me that, um, you know, there's perseverance and empowerment and it can happen at any stage in your life. Um, and so uh, I think that was one of my favorite things. But yeah, we, we have lots of assistive technology in our lending library that we demonstrate often. So in terms of those circumstances, like using a computer at 90, is there sort of an emphasis you have on simplicity with that technology? I feel like that's sort of a a broad assumption people have that uh, you want to make things a little easier to use for those just dipping their toe into the digital world? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it really depends on the individual, which is not necessarily maybe the the most fun answer. But, um, you know, I think when we go into those settings, especially because it's in their home, you know, it's their environment, uh, this is a change that they're experiencing, we really gather feedback um, you know, we've had individuals that this is their first time trying to use a computer in the last 20 years, but they had experience with typing and with, you know, using some of the, the oldest computers and the biggest computers. So, like, it, it just really depends on their experience and what they share with us. Um, sometimes it's, you know, going through it multiple times and then providing, uh, you know, text documents that go through everything we discussed in large text or it might be just that one-on-one interaction that they need. So um, it can really just depend on what they share with us. So Brianna, um, this is a question that Sam has provided for you. And so Sam wants to know, 
So it looks like, according to your bio, you're a relatively new employee. So what do you enjoy about working at Easter Seals? And also, she wants to know what is your main duty or goal of of the Rural Solutions and Assistive Technology Center. Yeah, so um, I would say there's a lot of things I like about working for Easter Seals. I love the people that I work with in my program and in our organization. There's really this feeling of shared purpose and mission. um, And that's something that I appreciate that we, you know, as much as we can, we try not to say no. We try to say, okay, we can't do it this way. What can we look into? Um, What alternatives do we have? So I think that that's something that I just see every day with my colleagues and with our clients as well. Um, And so that's been just really awesome. Also figuring out or like identifying uh, an accommodation or a device that's just working really well for a client. That's always a great feeling to see them feeling independent and empowered to use that technology. Um, and I would say I'm lucky because my the, the position that I have is focused on our lending library. So our lending library is available to anyone in the state of Iowa. Um, and we have over now 1,100 devices in the lending library. So I do everything from, you know, sanitizing devices to organizing new inventory um, to providing demonstrations that to clients, whether that's virtually or in person at our demonstration center. So let's give a couple of examples of what is, oh, Meredith, yeah. Uh, so what are some examples of what is in the lending library? Is it high-tech things or what are the, what is the range of, of things in that lending library? Yeah, so as the state um, assistive technology program, it's really important to us that we're not deciding one solution for a specific purpose. We really want to provide Um, a variety of different options for individuals to try. The national statistic is, I believe, seven devices. An individual with a disability will try, um, on average, seven devices before they find their right fit. So if you think about someone looking for a high-tech communication device, that would be potentially um, thousands and thousands of dollars that they've spent and not found something successful or it would be so discouraging um, that they may, might not even get to trying that seventh, seventh device. So I think um, us being able to um, work with them and just offer different uh, options is really important. Um, I'll provide an example just from this last week. I worked with an individual that um, had a stroke when he was young and lost the use of his left arm. And so he came in um, and we looked at all sorts of different devices Um, that he could use to use his computer independently. Um, We looked at one-handed cutting boards and utensils so that he could independently. Um, And right now, he's in that that phase where he's kind of figuring out what's going to work best, but he was able to try out a bunch of different devices directly in the demonstration center and then choose those things that he wanted to try um, and really trial at home in his environment. So... Um, I would say that's a great example of what it looks like. So, Daniel, it looks like you've got a burning question from that. Um, hmm. I'm afraid not. I'm just more curious about, like, we sort of touched on it a bit, but it's sort of interesting to me, like, the range that goes from uh, things like using a computer to just being able to cut something properly. Like, is what... What would you say is the simplest thing 
that can be offered in that lending library? The simplest thing. That's a good question. Um, we have a, a lot of what we describe as like no tech or low tech devices, things that you may be able to purchase from a store um, that could make a significant difference in items you're using. So I'll give an example. Foam tubing is something that we use all the time because you can um, customize it. Uh, you can use it as a gripping material. Um, I even had an individual that once told me, you know, my, my AAC, my communication device is broken. I'd like to come in and, and talk to you. So she came in and um, started demonstrating how she uses her communication device. And what we discovered was it wasn't the communication device, but the stylus that she was trying to use. And we noticed that she was really struggling to hold on to that stylus. So for the time being, we added some foam tubing to the stylus to see if that would help. And it did. And so we were able to identify that it was actually, you know, the mode of trying to communicate um, that we needed to adjust things. And then she didn't have to focus on trying to replace a very expensive communication device. So even in the digital age, there are still those simple solutions that can come up now and again. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we've even done events called AT Maker events. Um, so there's uh, an individual, Therese Wilcom, who comes up with all these really cool DIY uh, solutions for assistive technology. And so um, I had uh, the uh, honor with uh, my colleague, Kim, to get to go to one of her trainings. And um, so we have taken that back. And, you know, it's things like uh, double-sided tape and corrugated plastic and things that you might not necessarily think of assistive technology, but really AT is anything that's going to allow an individual to remain independent. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to I Am Able Iowa, and we're talking with the fabulous Brianna Lewin at the Rural Solutions and Assistive Technology Center on-site coordinator at Easter Seals, Iowa. Meredith, you ready to unmute? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, I love that Easter Seals is kind of like uh, this problem-solving group where they are like, hey, you need help with something. Let us help you figure it out. And I think that's pretty awesome. So um, if anybody's listening out there, check Easter Seals out. It may be a solution to your problem. Um, Okay, so it's August. And school is getting ready to start again. Um, let's talk about assistive technology for students, specifically um, Ames is a college town. So how do college students access what's available for their technology needs? How can you find out what's available? How can you figure out what it is that you even need? Where do you start? Yeah, great question. So um, I think... Uh, if if you think that you may need an accommodation or there's just a barrier that you're experiencing in, in school or even at home working on, you know, schoolwork, um, then you can reach out to your disability office. They work a lot at college disability services, work a lot with accommodation. And we've worked a lot with um, different school supports to kind of identify what would be the best AT to support that student. Um, things like exam pens that you can uh, scan text um, and it'll read it out loud to you, provide that audio output. 
You can um, record certain sections, take pictures, those things where it allows you to kind of customize your experience um, with studying and, and completing work for class. Um, so I would say exam pens and smart pens are probably one of the biggest requests that we get from individuals in college. Uh, the other uh, great support is IVRS. So we worked a lot with IVRS as well and collaborating and identifying, you know, some different options that Ooh, are available. Just a second. So if you wouldn't mind, what is IVRS? Is that a, um, yes. a, a alien? What is IVRS? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. I know we talk a lot in uh, acronyms too. So uh, yes, that is Iowa Vocational Rehabilitation Services. So um, we we work a lot with them. Um, they've also had their own AT as part of the lending library before. So, um, yes, IVRS. Okay, so <laughs> I have a son with dyslexia, and he is going to be starting college in the fall. And mm-hmm. I have tried to talk to him about these smart technology devices. And I'm like, hey, we need to call Easter Seals. We need to go in. We need to check some stuff out. And he's like, no way. Yeah, because he's like, I don't want to feel different. I managed in high school just fine. I'm going to be fine. And I'm like, college is a different game. You have the technology, but maybe you don't need it. It's still better, but he doesn't want to have that conversation. So I would love to know how you interact with people who are maybe a little bit hesitant to embrace the technology just because of the stigma that surrounds disability. Yeah, absolutely. I think knowing those details is really important in those first conversations um, because we can consider uh, there are people that want to make sure when they're using their technology that it isn't something that everyone else is seeing or, you know, um, necessarily out there. And so we can we can talk about that. But I think also starting where that individual wants to start. So taking the time to really get to know them and build trust with them, sometimes it takes multiple conversations before I even have someone come into the demonstration center. Um, I've had some individuals that I email back and forth and they just kind of ask questions. Um, and then eventually we kind of decide, okay, what's the next step in this process? But I also believe deeply we all use assistive technology. And so it is something that's available and there for individuals with disabilities to support, to provide, you know, that feeling of independence and empowerment. Um, but we all use it. And so I think just normalizing that is, is a big part of it. Um, sometimes I'll have college students come into the demonstration center and I'll start off asking, have you ever used a sticky note? And most people raise their hands and I'm like, you've used assistive technology. Um, that helped remind you of something or you took a note on that sticky note, that is assistive technology. So I think just reminding people that we all use it in a different way, different capacity. Exactly. It's like anyone with glasses or contact lenses, right? Yep, exactly. Right. Well, and I think that's one of the things that we are working toward with uh, I Am Able Iowa is kind of removing some of these barriers, helping us to realize how disability touches everyone's life and how important it is for us to provide accessibility and opportunities for conversations like this. Because, I mean, to go into a place like, you know, university, you know, you're paying a lot of money for education to not have all the tools that you need to be successful is um, a little bit short-sighted. 
And so, Daniel, so, did you? Ha- what was your experience? Uh, did you need any? Uh, and, and actually, before I ask that, Brianna, what is an accommodation? Yeah, an accommodation is any um, sort of support or device that's put in place to allow that individual to remain independent in a task that others, you know, would be able to complete maybe without that accommodation. But just um, I think it's recognizing that we're all individuals and we all process information differently and learn differently. And so um, just figuring out what works best for us to, to make sure that we can succeed. So back to you, Daniel. A majority of my accommodations were before I actually gained independence. Like I had someone working with me through my early elementary school years just because I was uh, admittedly very different from my peers. I still was a little uh, on the shyer side, not quite certain what social norms were, etc. So there was always somebody there to sort of assist in that regard. But as time progressed, that need sort of faded away and then came back as I went into college and then into the job world. So I've worked with IVRS. I've um, had opportunities to uh, utilize certain um, tools that were available from Iowa State. I think I used that to my advantage in a few circumstances that let me sort of sneak into or out of a class that didn't exactly fit for me, which sounds sketchy. I don't intend for that to be the case. It's more just, again, using the circumstances available at hand and what they're offering just to the best of my abilities. So again, it's I'm not trying to talk about it in a way that makes it seem like I'm lesser. It's more just something that came across that came up even you'll you'll have to forgive me i'm a bit uh today's a bit of a drowsy day on my end well it's rainy and it's a saturday morning totally get it that's uh it's and you had to start off with meredith and i singing napoleon dynamite i mean we we were yeah we weren't setting you Uh, up for success there a few steps back from the norm today (laughs) yes um, so where would someone go, Daniel, if they needed an accommodation at Iowa State, for example? Uh, there's the student. Oh, this is this is going to make me look terrible. I don't remember the actual name of it. I can tell you the general location. But again, it's been a few years since I've graduated. So everything is sort of starting to blur already. But I think it's just the student. I think it's just the student services building. I'm not positive. I think but you're right. You, yeah, because it's and it it's not again. It's not something that has a lot of drama or theatrics to it. It's just maybe you contact someone to make a an appointment, and then you go in and you speak with an advisor or a counselor, or what have you, and you just go from there. It's a conversation. It's it's not judgmental. It's not saying you are more or less of something. It's just another part of the process. Well, and I think, Daniel, you bring up a really great point when you say you're not more or less. Um, Accommodations don't make you less. They make you equal to someone who doesn't need. It's just giving you what you need to get you where you want to go. So I think, thank you for bringing that up. I think that's super important. Okay, so we talked earlier a little bit about 
um, making websites more accessible. So um, let's talk a little bit more specifically about social media and social media posts. Um, Social media is huge. We're live streaming on Facebook right now. What are some things that, for example, you can do to make a Facebook post more accessible? Yeah, um, that's something that we're always talking about um, and kind of I'm always trying to pay attention to because social media is starting, um, the different platforms are starting to add accessibility features. Um, but it's tough because really to make something fully accessible, you want to have a foundation of accessibility. And so social media um, is not necessarily going to be able to be fully accessible, but there are still things that you can do to try to practice um, being as accessible as you can with the information that you share on social media. So Facebook, Instagram, um, uh, Twitter, uh, a lot of those uh, programs and platforms now have alt text um, that you can add with your images. So I would say uh, that that's a big piece is just adding that alt text in before you upload something. Uh, the other thing that um, they're starting to add is captioning to videos and being able to edit captions. So um, right now, that's primarily for business pages. I think they're kind of slowly releasing it, trying to figure out some of the bugs before they make it um, available to the, the general uh, population. But um, that's another thing, captioning or transcripts. So captioning would be um, going on simultaneously while you're watching a video as a transcript would be word for word, um, you know, something that you would type up and, and provide with, uh, with a podcast or with a radio show, um, so that they could read that as they're, as they're, uh, watching or listening. So providing a transcript, sorry, with the podcast is a way to make it more accessible. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of it is really thinking about just alternative methods, and like I said earlier, we all learn different. We all gather information differently. So just making considerations about, you know, if I have a podcast with audio, then what is another way that I can convey this information for somebody that's hard of hearing? Um, so typing that that script up um, or, you know, the color contrast, things like that, that you can um, really small things that can make a huge difference for a lot of individuals. The captioning note is interesting because, somewhat ironically, I think some sites have actually taken a step back in that regard. I remember YouTube specifically, they used to have a feature where for any channel, uh, if a fan or any other viewer wanted to offer captioning, they could actually provide it themselves. So they could go in, type up the captioning, and it would just go on as they scheduled it on any video, but they've actually discontinued that service recently. So now the only way you can do captioning on a video is if it's from the uploader themselves. And sometimes they're just not willing to do that. So what was a volunteer service that allowed something to be enjoyed by more people was just taken away for no apparent reason and it's very frustrating yeah absolutely thank you for sharing that daniel because i think that's um something that we have to consider is you know those services and those um features that they add it's um 
not just for uh, design purposes or something like that. It's really going to impact who can watch videos and, um, you know, review that content. So that's, that is uh, something that we're always dealing with is if we're doing a presentation, captioning, um, what's available. Uh, if we're doing a Facebook live video, how do we ensure our captioning is going to be accurate? Things like that. Um, but there's still, yeah, absolutely a lot of progress that needs to be made. It's always about what people, I think, deem to be the broadest audience. But in my mind, the broadest audience is everyone, not just 90-something percent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and if you make something accessible for someone who needs help, it's still accessible to everyone else. Yes. Yeah, I think it's also important to note um, when we're talking about uh, accessibility or digital accessibility, um, that, you know, when we come to somebody and say, hey, something isn't accessible and we'd like to help you, we're there to collaborate, to work with that that individual or with that entity. We're not there to, you know, um, you know, lecture them or anything like that. We're aware that this is um, very specific information. And if you haven't been taught it, then um, you're not even going to be aware that you need it. So um, I think it's also important to view um, when you do get accessibility um, errors or there's needs that you haven't addressed to just be open to that, to be open to that learning um, is really important. So if someone, you know, listening to our show today has experience with someone who is maybe disseminated content that's not accessible, or they maybe want to encourage um, more accessibility, uh, a conscious culture at their workplace. Is there a place for resources where they can go? Does Easter Seals offer anything like that? Or is there a connection there? Yeah. So um, we, our program actually worked with the University of Iowa um, to uh, create a course that is free and available to the public um, that is focused on digital accessibility. So um, we're still working to kind of um, change and, you know, that that course is ever evolving because we get a lot of great feedback and we want to make sure that, um, you know, we're up to date on as much as, as we can be. But it's separated into, first of all, what are we talking about when we talk about universal de- design, assistive technology? Um, we have screen reader demonstrations so that you can kind of actually see how that works and how what you're creating could impact a screen reader. Um, and then we go into, you know, how to create uh, an accessible document, how to create an accessible presentation, PDF. Um, and then as you get on down the list, it does get more technical. So it's, um, it's self-paced. So uh, individuals, you know, if you want to learn just about making accessible documents and presentations, because that's primarily what you do at your job, then you can just, uh, you know, get those details. There's some practice uh, assignments and some demonstrations. Um, and that course is called Creating Accessible Materials. Um, and like I said, it is a free course. Um, and we did that through, uh, in collaboration with the University of Iowa, which was really exciting. Well, I got to say, even though I'm an Ames, go Hawks. That's my alma mater. I love it so much. Um, so what happens, though, would you say, when someone repeatedly doesn't want to make a uh, document accessible or finds it tedious or they don't have time? How do you facilitate those conversations? Yeah, um, I think trying to help 
individuals understand that they're capable of doing these things that um, when we talk about digital accessibility, especially at the beginning, it can sound really overwhelming and like it's, it's impossible or just, you know, like you said, tedious, too much work. Um, but I think it's important to remember that this is really a conversation of inclusion versus exclusion. Um, and so we really want to focus on, um, you know, what steps can we uh, take to be more inclusive? And so it's important. It's vital to the services that Easter Seals provides or any business really provides to their consumer um, that they're accessible and that they're reaching out to as many people as possible in, um, in the community. I think that um, sometimes it's really just providing those demonstrations um, you know, I think when I when I show people what how a screen reader works and what it looks like and how someone would navigate with, you know, their keyboard only um, on a computer, that really impacts people because they see um, for the first time, oh, this is what it sounds like if I don't add all text to my image. And that's really, really confusing and frustrating. Um, so sometimes it just takes, uh, you know, different, different ways of sharing that information and, and helping them understand how important this really is. So Brianna Meredith and Daniel have talked about, so Daniel talked about when he went to go to student services on the Iowa State campus. It was a conversation. It wasn't, hey, you're coming here to get help kind of thing. Look at me. And then Meredith on the other side is talking about her son who doesn't want to get accommodation or even discuss it because he's, I'm guessing that he's worried about a label or being um, singled out for being different. So how do we, and you talked about this, about the importance of making things more mainstream and removing the stigma. So what are you doing personally in Easter Seals to be able to help with making it more, that's a long-winded question, but, you, but I think you know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. So um, I talk about assistive technology and everyday life. Um, obviously when it's relevant and I'm not just trying to like sell it to anyone, but, you know, um, talking about it and helping people understand first what it is. Second of all, um, how it supports every one of us every day, um, I think is really important. So just having those conversations, um, like you said, Daniel, and I think too, um, remembering that it's a conversation. Um, I learn as much from the individuals I work with and the clients that I work with as they learn from the AT center. And so I think you, um, you know, you can't step into those situations as an expert because you don't know what their needs are. You don't know where you're meeting them at until you have that conversation. Um, so I think that's key, just really um, continuing to have those conversations and, and at the pace that that individual wants to go. I love that it's a, a collaborative um, process. Um, there was a story in the news over the last couple of weeks about a group of students at uh, Bullis School in Maryland who created a stroller attachment for a wheelchair so that uh, one of their teachers, their teacher's husband, could take their new baby for a walk with the stroller. Um, and I mean, I think that's the perfect example of assistive technology that hadn't necessarily been invented yet, but filled a need that um, normal able-bodied people didn't realize existed. Um, and how important it is for us to have the conversation to remove the stigma. Because when, when we rise, we all rise together, right? 
Um, can you tell us maybe uh, like your website? How do we get a hold of you? If there's you know more information that we want about Easter Seals and uh, the assistive technology, where do we go? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways. Um, first of all, our general uh, assistive technology um, website is iowaat.org. And we actually just updated that website. Um, and uh, it includes a new accessibility feature um, through a company called Recite Me. Um, so people can actually uh, translate into other languages, create a PDF out of our website so that they can review it um, accessibly. Uh, that also includes a new virtual uh, tour of the Assistive Technology Center. So especially with um, the pandemic, we wanted to figure out a way um, if somebody couldn't come in or if at that time we will, were only meeting with people virtually, uh, was there a way that they could still go through that demonstration center? So I would say that website as well as uh, eastersealsia.atforall.com, uh, um, that is our lending library inventory website. Um, so anyone can create a free account. You can request loans online, or you can just kind of see what we have available. There's lots of different ways to search for devices. Um, and if you don't know what you're looking for necessarily, there's even different categories that you can really just look under. Um, so I would say those two websites are probably the most most important. Um, and then you can also reach out to us at atinfo at eastersealsia.org. Um, so uh, that is just our general program email. But then based on the question and the needs that we're trying to address, that'll get sent to one of, you know, my colleagues or myself. So I would say those are the best ways to, to reach out. And how do we get a hold of the, the course about accessibility? Yes. Um, so I would say the best way uh, to look that up, I would try to give you the link, but it's it's a little long. So um, it's just looking up creating accessible materials, self-paced, and that's going to be under Canvas, which is University of Iowa's form for their courses. Um, if you have any issues finding it, getting signed up, anything like that, um, you know, you can absolutely reach out to me and I'm happy to assist. Speaking of the categories you mentioned in terms of the lending library, um, there's something that I've sort of been thinking about that I don't think I've had the opportunity to ask in one of our previous shows about AT. A lot of our discussion is about, you know, your day-to-day life and how assistive technology can help people be, again, more equal to their more able counterparts. But what about if someone is looking for assistive technology that can assist with things like leisure activities? Like what if they're just having trouble reading or having trouble watching a film or something? Is there still technology available for those aspects of life as well? Yes. And I love that question. That might be one of my favorite questions for today because um, I really enjoy getting to share assistive technology for recreation and for leisure because it's really as important as any other AT that you're looking for. Um, you know, at Easter Seals, we talk about we want you to be able to live, work, learn, and play um, independently and successfully. So play is still part of that for everyone. Um, we have 
adaptive uh, gardening equipment. We have adaptive fishing equipment for individuals, um, uh, all sorts of different activities for uh, children as well. Um, we have a yoga mat that has Braille on it so that an individual with low vision um, can learn the poses uh, by feeling the braille on the mat. Um, and each uh, area of the yoga mat is also marked so they, they know where to place their hands versus their knees. Um, so absolutely, that is definitely an area of AT um, and one that I think is really important to talk about because it's, like I said, uh, like you said, it's it's just as important as other aspects of daily living or work. Right, but... Is there still an obstacle in terms of things like one of the things that comes to mind immediately is if you're watching a film, not all of them are going to have closed captioning. That's uh, the most readily available, or this is something that comes up a lot in modern video games because games are starting to be more and more influenced by the film industry. There's a lot more cutscenes, There's a lot more dialogue. And sometimes they don't have closed captioning that's terribly visible. Sometimes they print it in really small font, or sometimes, again, there could be issues with colorblind people not being able to read certain text. So for those more specific issues, is there work being done in AT that can help sort of alleviate those, or is that unfortunately still a case-by-case basis? Um, I would say we're seeing more and more AT for that area, but that there's always more that could be done. I do know I've had individuals that I've worked with that are, you know, just looking to be able to watch some of their favorite movies with closed captioning or audio descriptions. And there are some great um, organizations out there that um, have created or offer those kinds of films or music. Um, but I do think it is an area where we're constantly, you know, hoping, um, for, for it to grow. Uh, and I think then also thinking of smaller devices that might be helpful in that process. And is there something that you could use as a supplemental support? Um, but again, like you said, it, it can be based on the individual. Um, and there's a lot of barriers right now there. Um, let's talk about advocacy for a minute. I am really interested to hear, like, what's going on uh, with the legislature? Um, are you involved in any kind of um, action to, you know, surrounding accessibility and assistive technology? Are there, you know, things that people with disabilities should know about concerning, like, their rights to access yeah, That's a lot of questions I just threw at you. I apologize for no, asking five questions at once, but yeah, it's a big, it's a big um, system, and I'm sure you have thoughts. Yeah, so we do have like our legislative day every year where um, we uh, will go both um, staff and clients and talk to legislators, share success stories. Um, I know for a lot, that's one of favorite days of the year because it's getting to really take our clients and have them share their success stories. You know, we've supported in the process, but they're the ones that have taken those steps to be where they're at now. And so having the opportunity to really um, share that, I think is great. Um, Disability Rights Iowa is a great organization that um, we've done a lot of work with, um, and they have a lot of great information on advocacy. But I think it's something where you can always you know, continue to do better um, and to improve on. Um, and so 
I know that one of my goals this year is to actually um, hopefully join a committee or a board where we can start to um, have those conversations and bring those ideas to the table. Well, the DD so Council, think- too. So the DD Council is having yes. an advocacy conference this fall, I think. Yes, I believe it's this fall. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they're, they've been a great supporter of our program, an incredible supporter. They um, have been, uh, you know, helping us every year with our AAC camp in the summer. Um, and they are focused on how can we, you know, build uh, individuals with disabilities advocacy skills um, so that they feel empowered to advocate for themselves as well. What are you thinking, Daniel? Uh, right now I'm thinking that I should have had a heavier breakfast, but I'm trying to think of something more relevant to the topic at hand. Um, what kind of breakfast do you wish you had? Eggs? Pancakes? Uh, Oh, don't, don't put me on the spot <laughs> now. It's, you're going to make me even hungrier. Oh, that's true. Um, okay, I got something. And it's something we've discussed in previous shows, I think, but it's, it's something that always seems to sort of elude me. So let's cover it again. Hope it sticks. Where do service animals fall under assistive technology? Like, are they considered themselves like aspects of technology of technology or are they just in their own little circle outside of the whole spectrum? That's a really good question. Um, and I have to be honest, quite honestly, I, I'm not sure exactly how they would be defined. Um, it can be tricky, especially just legally with the, the difference between, you know, a service animal and emotional support um, animal. Um, but I, you know, I always think of it as an assistive support, absolutely, because that's something, um, you know, that is a companion that is helping you um, remain independent every day. So, I don't know that I would necessarily consider it technological, but it's absolutely a, a support that helps you remain independent. Well, someone told me that if it poops, it's not an assistive technology. What, uh, if, the, what if you had like an assistive technology Tamagotchi or something? <laughs> that might work. You know, that's a new idea. I don't know that that one's ever, ever been tried before, but. Well, you heard <laughs> it right. here on I Am Able Iowa. Yeah, and I will take 2% of the royalties. <laughs> I did want to say that so the DD Council's 2021 Make Your Mark Conference Be a Game Changer is this September 15th through uh, 16th, 2021, and the West Des Moines Marriott. Um, and so you can register now at the Iowa DD Council, and we can provide that on our Facebook page, too. I just want to make sure that we provided that information as well. You know, speaking of clarifying acronyms, Anna, uh, what is the DD Council? Yeah, that's a great question. So the Iowa DD Council is, um, I'm going to make sure that I say this correctly, is uh, their mission is to create change with and for persons with developmental disabilities so they can live, work, learn, and play in the community of their choosing. Um, so it is the Iowa uh, Disability, um, What, do, Brianna, I'm drawing a blank here. Iowa Developmental Disability Council. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. I have to think about it. Yes, me too. I'm like, what's the other D? Gotcha. (laughs) So just to give them full, it is the Iowa DD Council. And you can find more information at Iowa, all spelled out, IOWADDCouncil.org. And we can, again, put that on our Facebook page. 
lot of information today. Um, you mentioned earlier about how PDFs are more accessible. At least that's kind of what I heard. Can you talk a little bit more about yeah, how a PDF is accessible or maybe even how to make it accessible? Yeah, I will say uh, PDFs are when it gets more technical. Um, and so it does... It, it, it's more of a process, um, more learning, I would say, to learn the, the technical skills for PDF. Um, but at the same time, uh, they do that program has probably the most accessibility features. Um, so you can build an accessible document from the start within Word or PowerPoint, but then convert it into PDF and actually add additional features. For instance, tagging, um, which creates kind of a language on the back end of that technology screen readers. So when you're tagging something, a screen reader actually captures that this is a header or this is an image or uh, I'm going to review a list, you know, things like that. Um, so PDF is where you really want to add um, uh, those additional accessibility features. Okay. So speaking of PDF is PDQ because it's pretty darn quick that we're going to have to wrap up. So Brianna, can you tell us like, so for those listeners out there who are hesitant um, to reach out, what would you say to them in the in, as we close out? Absolutely. I get it. I get that it can be, um, you know, uh, daunting to try to consider uh, what would be helpful, but we are here to support. We are here to really collaborate with you, hear what your needs are, and try to support as best we can, whatever that might look like. So, um, you know, I just really encourage anyone that might be considering, reach out, even if it's just a first initial conversation, that's fine, and we can go from there. <laughs> Great. I love that. So thank you so much, Brianna, for visiting with us today. This is KHOI Story City Ames. You've been listening to I Am Able Iowa. I Am Able Iowa airs the first and last Saturday morning of each month at 9 a.m. on KHOI 89.1 FM. You can also hear us streaming live online at khoifm.org. On the Saturdays in the middle of the month, please tune in to Insight of the Mind with Julie Saxton, who provides valuable information about mental health issues. We invite you to share any comments, questions, and program ideas with us at contact at IamAbleIowa.com. You can also visit IamAbleIowa.com to find our previous episodes and more information about our program. I Am Able Iowa is produced by Able Up Iowa, headquartered in Ames, Iowa. Able Up Iowa helps people of all abilities become independent by providing solutions to financial needs and empowering them to achieve their financial goals. Our I Am Able Iowa music is composed and performed by Sean Ryan. I Am Able Iowa is brought to you by Barbarite Iowa Able Foundation, also known as Able Up Iowa, Kurt Soderberg, and Lynn Van Clark. Thank you, Samantha Edwards, our I Am Able Iowa researcher, for coming up with our opening question as well as many of the great questions. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Anna Magnuson, Daniel Hadendorf, and Meredith Frankham saying, You are able, Iowa.